Hey everyone, it is Dan here. This is a short 15-minute talk that I recently did on why and how academics should be using social media. Hope you enjoy it. For the next few moments, I'm going to be talking to you about uh, social media for academics, why and how, and uh, hopefully I can inspire you to get involved and if you already are involved with social media, to get a little bit more involved. Because when it comes to social media, I think it is just as an important skill as learning new experimental techniques or how to write manuscripts or how to do presentations. It's just as important. So, um, uh, so I hope you get something out of this, uh, this presentation. Um, now when it comes to getting your research known, getting your research out there, um, there, there are, I believe there are four ways for you to actually do this, for you to get your research known. Um, but only one of these ways is open to everyone, open to anyone at any career stage. Um, one of them is to already be famous, if you already are. Um, good for you. That's fantastic. Um, another one is to have a famous mentor. Um, that's also good for you if you already have that. Uh, another one is to repeatedly win the peer review or the grant review lottery. Um, but the fourth one is to actively contribute to social media because this is something that everybody can do. Right now, the current situation for you to get your work known is for your work to either get um, promoted via um, getting it published in journals and the more prestigious the journal, the better, or for you to get your work presented at conferences or for you to present your work at conferences. And this has been the way um, for, for, for a century or two, this is how science has been done. Your only way to get your research known is through these channels. However, now with more and more academics paying attention to social media, now there's another way for you to actually get your research out there. Um, and it, anyone has the opportunity to actually actively contribute to, to social media. Um, whether you believe it or not, there is gatekeeping in academia. Um, in terms of getting your work out, there, work out there through the traditional media, um, the amount of times that I've contributed to for, for a piece for the media, only for them to go, oh, sorry, we didn't have space for your comment or we didn't have space for your article. Um, we'll, we'll talk to you again if we need you type thing. The traditional media chooses what gets published and how this is done. And like I mentioned before, scientific journals limit what is published and how quickly this is published. I'm sure we've all had stories of papers being submitted and it takes a year or two for the paper to actually get published eventually. When it comes to the, to the traditional publication system, you essentially submit your paper and then it goes to the editors, it goes to the peer reviewers, and they decide whether your paper is going to get out there. But fortunately, now we have the combination of social media and preprints so we can immediately share our research to other researchers to get feedback, but also to get our research known. When it comes to communicating online, there are three primary modalities. Now, there are a number of different platforms in order to actually share these things. You've got audio, which is, which is traditionally done um, by radio or podcasts. You've got text, which at the moment is done um, by Twitter, Facebook, and blogs. And you've got images as well, where you've got Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Now, of course, these things can change. Um, I was actually on MySpace, and I'm sure a few of you listening now were also on MySpace, but um, not many people are using it now any, uh, now anymore. Um, but it doesn't matter because these platforms or these modalities are always going to stay the same. So it doesn't matter. Um, but uh, so it's important that you actually get good at at, uh, at one or all three of these. And some people don't like being filmed on video. I know I don't. Um, but you, at least you have the option of having uh, audio and text for sharing your work. And the platform right now 
that most researchers are paying attention to in a professional context is Twitter. So that's why I'm going to be focusing on Twitter for most of this talk. And the great thing about Twitter, it has a very low threshold for participation. It is a short amount of characters in a single tweet. A blog can take time. A video can take time. It also takes equipment to actually film the video as well. But Twitter has a very, very low threshold for participation. And there are two broad targets for, 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 for communication, uh, lay people and scientists, so that there's a good mix out there for when it comes to sharing your research. So this talk isn't going to be mainly focused on how to actually use Twitter. Um, the, all the information's out there. You're all very smart people. You either have PhDs or you're working towards PhDs. You can figure this out yourself. Uh, the best thing you can do is to Google. But what I've done is, um, because, um, I've re- I, I, I tend to always get asked how to actually use Twitter. I wrote a book and it's free and you could read it online and you can go through this. And this begins from beginner all the way to advanced on how to use Twitter. So, um, I'm going to be sharing a few tips, but if you want some more information, I would go and check out this free book, tforscientists.com. Twitter is a great way to to share your research. I just want to give an example of a tweet that I shared um, on Valentine's Day. Now, my research is in oxytocin. It's a neuropeptide secreted from the brain, um, both within the brain and within the body. And um, it's commonly known, at least within the biobehavioral sciences, as the love hormone or the cuddle hormone. Now, this isn't entirely incorrect. Or this this is this isn't entirely correct. Um, in fact, there there's a, there's a dark side to oxytocin, which I won't go into now. Um, so I used Valentine's Day as an opportunity to actually talk about what oxytocin does and doesn't do. Um, now, this thread, which was a con- which was a series of collect uh, of, of connected tweets, which actually spoke about oxytocin, has been viewed over seventy thousand times, which is a lot more than my papers tend to get viewed. And uh, the good thing about threads is that you might you might write a series of twenty tweets and think this is okay, but different people find different individual tweets interesting, and then they share those individual tweets. So that's one benefit of sharing your work within a thread, which is a collection of connected tweets. And this is read and shared by both scientists and lay people. So it's a good demonstration of how far your research can get because your work can easily get amplified on Twitter. The problem with Facebook is that too many people are paying attention to Facebook. So the only way to actually get your 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 stuff seen is to pay for ads. That is the only way. Uh, it's very, very difficult for your stuff to spread on Facebook unless someone specifically wants to actually see your work. There's a number of people, a number of users for our center who specifically want to follow what our work, what's been done. And that's great. But on, on top of that, if you're an individual researcher, it can be very difficult for your work to get to other researchers via, via Facebook, via, but via Twitter, it's very easy for your work to spread far and wide. When it comes to setting up your Twitter profile, um, I would recommend changing the default um, uh, profile image. You can do a picture of yourself um, or you can do something else, but I would recommend at least to do something because people quite often um, associate you not changing your profile to you being a bot account and people don't tend to follow bot accounts. Uh, there's a lot of information that you can put in there um, when it comes to the research that you do because people will make a decision on whether to follow you based on what is in your profile. You can also put a link. A lot of researchers put a link to their publications so people can see what sort of research they do. Um, and you can also put your location for where you are. So there's a, there's a number of options there. And when it comes to tweeting, um, the great thing about Twitter is uh, there's, there's not that much you can do, which is actually good. I like the fact that it restricts what you can do. You can add some text. You can either you can add a few video, uh, images or video. You can add a GIF if you want to be creative, and you can even add a poll. So there's a few different things you can do when it comes to, to tweeting. 
uh, it's, it's important to recognize that the main reasons that people use social media, particularly Twitter, is to either pass the time or to save time by learning stuff. And when people ask me, Dan, what, what do I tweet? I don't know what to tweet. I think as long as you stick to these two core ideas, that the best way to bring value on Twitter is either to educate or to entertain. To educate, to help people um, save time or to entertain, pass the time. Uh, as researchers, it can be hard to entertain, um, but every single researcher is able to educate and share their work. That's something that we can all do no matter what academic level that you're at. Uh, here's an example of a tweet uh, sharing research. So uh, I'll give a, a, sh- a short summary. There is a, a link to the paper. Um, I also give a link to a non-paywalled version because it's important to recognize that not everyone has access to paywalled journals. Uh, tagged some co-authors who are also on Twitter. And um, there's the open access version and also a figure from the paper, which really stands out uh, as well when people are scrolling through. And like I mentioned before, threads can be a, a really powerful way to share your research as well um, because you can talk about your work, you can add images, talk about the story behind your work, um, and also acknowledge the, 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 the team members and the stories um, behind the actual research. And it's a really, really good way. Um, I've posted stuff as blogs and I've posted stuff as, as, as Twitter threads and the work that gets shared the most is Twitter threads by far. It, um, it boosts the amount of views that these, these, these articles get. It's a fantastic way to actually share your research. Another thing to consider is just um, when it comes to what you actually share on Twitter, you don't need to actually think about, like, I never sit down and think, what am I going to tweet today? It doesn't happen. I just simply tweet what I'm already doing. You could be recording the presentations that you're already doing and posting them online. Most of us are now doing presentations online, so that's quite easy. Uh, you can share your research toolkit. If I come across an R, an R package, which is very handy, I'll just write, this, this R package is great. Here's the link. And of course, you can post links to interesting papers. So um, I think it can be a little boring if all you do is is share your own work. It's like you standing on the side of a road, um, just go, hey, here's my new paper. But if you're actually sharing the work of other people, that's when things get really interesting. So if you found a paper that's interesting, then chances are people that follow you We'll also find that um, those those papers are interesting as well. And you could also use it to share useful tips within your workday. One other thing you can do is ask and answer questions. The amount of times that I've, um, I've Googled and Googled and found a problem with my R scripting, but I've asked a question on Twitter and have found the answer almost immediately is amazing. It, there's a really big community, especially when it comes to, um, to bioinformatics and analysis on Twitter. That'll help you um, answer your questions. And... Um, um, you can also tag people, tag experts in the field. The great thing about Twitter is it's low threshold. All things equal, if I know a researcher who's on Twitter, I'll always m- message them on Twitter rather than send them an email. Because when you're sending an email, dear Professor so-and-so, blah, 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 blah. With Twitter, you can get straight to the point um, because that is the context of Twitter. You get straight to the point. So I tend to, when I contact people I haven't spoken to before, I always check first whether they have a Twitter account and whether they're active. And if they do, that's how I contact them. And I almost always get a response. But with email... You know, people's emails are flooded and um, people associate email with work, whereas people associate Twitter with fun. So they're more likely to answer your questions that way. And you can also answer other people's questions as well. The search function on Twitter is really good and you are bound to find people who do the same sort of research that you do. Other thing you can do is you can use video to share your ideas. Maybe you're, maybe you like doing video. It's a really good way of, of condensing a lot of ideas where you can't do it within text. And um, I've done this as well. I've included a, a hashtag, which is a way of categorizing tweets. So people who are interested in R statistics um, can search this hashtag. Um, I've tagged the author to acknowledge the work of other people. Um, and uh, 
also a link. So in this, this example, I was sharing a link to a full video on YouTube, but I actually made a short version to share on Twitter, which also included subtitles as well. These are really easy to add for free. If you use YouTube, YouTube automatically generates subtitles, which are like 90% accurate and you can, you can edit the rest. And it's a really good way because not a lot of people actually scroll Twitter using sound, but if they see subtitles or captions, they're more likely to read and share the video. Um, finally, if, if you're not, if you're still not sure what to tweet, um, as part of my book, I included a, uh, a one month boot camp, which gives suggestions each weekday for what you can tweet. And a lot of people have done this and found it a great experience to actually start tweeting. Uh, it's really easy to do. Um, so if you're interested, you can check that out in the last few chapters of the book. Uh, finally, I want to talk about an, another great way of sharing your research, which is podcasting. Um, I've had a great experience uh, co-hosting a podcast for the past three years. Everything Hurts, which is a podcast on research methodology and research life within the biobehavioral sciences. It's had over half a million downloads. It's fantastic. Um, it's just talking. It's much easier than blogging because all you're doing is, is pressing record and talking either with a co-host or you, you talk to interesting people. It's a fantastic way to share your research. And a lot of people, the great thing about podcasts, it's passive. You can, you can listen to it while you're exercising or when you're, when you're doing housework. Uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts myself. So I thought, Hey, why not start my own? But it's a really great way to share your research and share the work that you're doing and just, um, and, and just to connect with the academic community. So it's very accessible. And you can also build your network by inviting guests onto your show. Not, not all of us have the opportunity to, to, um, to, to organize conferences, but almost anyone can organize a podcast and invite guests onto your show. Um, you know, you can also benefit scientific communities. I wrote a little paper recently that came out in Trends in Cognitive Sciences, which talks about how podcasts are, are fantastic because they talk about, you have the opportunity to talk about all the, all the rules about academia, which tend to be unwritten. Um, many of us are lucky to be part of large research centers where people can collaborate and talk, but not everyone is as lucky as that. So it's a really good way to actually, um, uh, benefit scientific communities, um, in that way. So I've also written a very, very brief guide on podcasting if you're interested. And I believe the Faculty of Medicine also has a podcast studio that you can use. So if you don't have the equipment, uh, even though you can get equipment for very cheap, which is in the guide, um, but if you want the studio to use, I believe the faculty has these facilities. So if you're interested in starting your own podcast, uh, the faculty can actually support you um, in that. So before I finish, uh, I just want to hammer home the idea that social media can level the playing field for early career researchers or anyone in any research um, career level um, because it gives you the opportunity to share your research without the gatekeepers that you commonly get for journals and for academic conferences. So thank you for your time. And um, yeah, I'm very, very happy to answer any questions that, uh, that you may have.